Imagine a situation. Uh, let's take a woman, we'll call her Sarah. And imagine that Sarah struggles with faithfulness and discipline in her life. And as a result, things at her job are not going very well. For two or three years now, she's been not giving her company that she works for the hours that they're due. She's been calling in sick times when she's not actually sick. She's not been completing the assignments. She said that she was going to complete on a regular basis. And imagine that over the past two or three years, she's received repeated warnings. Warnings from her boss at work. Warnings from the Lord. She's remembered and felt convicted at different times of words that Jesus says where he says, look, work for your boss like you're working for me. And there's been times in which she's resolved, I gotta, I gotta make this right. Imagine perhaps that friends in the small group, in her small group, have been encouraging her Hey, look, you got to do the things you say you're going to do. You've got you to complete the assignments you say you're going to complete. You've got to give the full amount of hours you've promised to give to your job. But despite those repeated warnings, one day her boss calls her in to her office and her boss fires her. Sarah leaves the office and imagine she feels humiliation, embarrassment, perhaps fear. How is she going to have an income? Imagine that this goes on for months of no job for her. You can imagine the bitterness and the anger, the regret, bitterness and anger at her boss, perhaps, at her company, at herself, probably even at God. In the midst of this, she's searching for a new job and she can't seem to find one. Her brain tells her it's because she doesn't have a good reference from her previous job, but her heart tells her that God is somehow keeping her from another job. And in the midst of this, she feels alone and abandoned and desperate. Sarah would be experiencing what the Bible calls exile. Together as a church, we've been going through a doctrine series. Titus 2.1 tells us that we need to teach and believe sound doctrine. And we've been proceeding through a systematic historical view of good doctrine. You've seen this graphic that we've put up here before. We started with creation, election, redemption, Messiah. This week we are talking about the biblical idea of exile. Now pay close attention to how the order of these things work. We began with creation. God created us and he loves us. He created all people. Because God creates all of us, he invites every person into a relationship with him. That's election. 
For those who respond to God's invitation and accept his invitation and become part of his family, God is now obligated to fight for us, to rescue us, to come alongside of us no matter what the situation that we're in. That's the doctrine of redemption. Now the person that God sends to fight for us The person that God sends to walk alongside of us is none other than his own son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all things. All authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus's. And we looked last week as Mark took us through the doctrine of Messiah to be reminded that the one who loves us whose family that we are in, who's promised to rescue us, is the Lord of all things. But notice what's next. Exile. And exile is next because Jesus is the Lord of all things. This is good news for our redemption It's bad news if we choose to disobey. Because Jesus is Lord of all things, and because in election we chose to make him the Lord of our lives, Sarah is not free to treat her employer any way she wants. Nor is her employer free to treat her any way that they want. Under the Lordship of Jesus... We are required to obey. And exile is what happens when we refuse to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning what we want to do is we want to understand this concept of exile better. What is exile? How is that different than just the general sufferings of life? How do you or I as a Christian know when we're in exile? And how if we are or if someone we love is in exile, how do we know what to do? And what words of hope and encouragement can there be in the midst of exile? So what I'd like to do is invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. That's page 732 in the church Bibles, Hosea chapter 2. Now we've put up here a chart that shows thematically uh, these important doctrines and we've laid them out this way because this is how they appear thematically as you move through scripture. We could have, if we wanted, simply overlaid biblical books on top of these to help understand where we are in the process. Creation and election are essentially associated with the book of Genesis. The theme of redemption appears in the books of Exodus through Joshua. The theme of Messiah or kingship or lordship, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. This theme of exile is a main theme from Isaiah to Malachi. 
Now, of course, you find these themes all over the Bible. But exile is especially associated with what we know of as the biblical books of the prophets, from Isaiah to Malachi. Some of them are writing before the exile, some of them are writing during the exile, and some of them are writing after the exile. And the major event that they are writing about is what we know of as the exile. We'll explain what that is in just a few minutes. Now we could have chosen any of the prophetic books to talk about the theme of exile, but we're going to do it from the book of Hosea. Now to set the context, we've not been in Hosea yet. In the book of Hosea, Israel is still in the land that God gave them back at redemption. They're still in the land that God gave them, but they're in danger of going into exile. And what we're going to hear is strong warnings from God about the exile that is coming. Now in the book of Hosea, God uses the metaphor of a wife and mother, an unfaithful wife and an unfaithful mother, as a metaphor for Israel and for our own unfaithfulness. So listen as I begin reading Hosea chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 2. And again, the rebukes that you're hearing are to the nation and to those who are uh, this morning listening with the ears of the Lord. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, Turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful. She has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them into a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales and decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers 
but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Again, God is speaking about the nation of Israel and you can hear his anger. You can hear his frustration. And this is a warning that he is going to send them into exile. Now you didn't hear the word exile mentioned in this passage. It's mentioned in Hosea 10 referring to what's going on here. And when we talk about exile, let me offer you a definition of what I mean when I talk about exile. Exile, the biblical idea, is an extended experience for a Christian where the blessings and privileges of life are taken away because we have forgotten the Lord and his commands for our lives. We are removed from home and sent into the wilderness. Now let me say up front as you look at that definition of exile, let me be very careful to say exile is not rejection. What we're not talking about here is a Christian who loses their salvation. Exile does not have anything to do with that. It has to do with the fact that someone who has accepted the invitation from God, but is choosing to disobey God, at some point will be sent for a season away from home but still as a child of God. And during that season away from home, they will experience what we know of as the wilderness. Now in Hosea 2, we're gonna see this word wilderness in just a moment. So this begs the question, what is the wilderness? Here's the definition of wilderness that we're working from. Wilderness is a place of barrenness and struggle for the purpose of refining, testing, and growth. So wilderness, a place of barrenness and struggle for the purpose of refining, testing, and growth. And what is absolutely essential is to understand these two words, exile and wilderness, in relation to one another because it's easy to get them confused. Wilderness is the place where exile happens. But wilderness is a much bigger theme and a much bigger word than exile, meaning all exiles happen in the wilderness, but not all wilderness experiences are exiles. What do I mean by that? Well, if you take the nation of Israel after they come through the Red Sea, after they're coming out of Egypt, they go through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. That is not an exile experience. It is a wilderness experience, but it's not an exile experience. They're in the wilderness so that they can experience God, so that God can strip away some of the things they learned in Egypt, so that God can provide for them and so that God can prepare them for the promised land. 
When, however, the nation of Israel gets to Kadesh Barnea and they're told to go in and take the promised land and they refuse to do it, they are then sent back into the wilderness for 40 years. That is an exile experience. They are there experiencing the barrenness and the difficulty of the wilderness as a direct result of their sin. Likewise, consider Jesus. In his earthly life, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. It was a time of testing. It was a time of refinement and growth, but it was not an exile experience. So the important thing to understand is that exile and wilderness are related, but wilderness is a much bigger category. There are times in which you and I find ourselves in the wilderness of suffering and difficulty, and it is an exile experience, and there are times when it is not. Maybe you move to a new town. That can be a wilderness experience. It may or may not be because of exile. Maybe you're struggling with student debt. That can be a wilderness experience. It may or may not be because of exile. Maybe you have cancer. That it can be a wilderness experience, but it may or may not be because of exile. Which of course raises the question, how do you know if the wilderness experience that you are in, the wilderness experience that I am, how do we know if it's an exile experience or some other kind of wilderness experience? Well, the more vague answer to that question is ask God and he'll tell you. Through scripture, through prayer, through conversations with others, simply pray. If you're in the midst of a wilderness experience, if you're experiencing the barrenness and the difficulty of life, you simply ask God, God, is this a wilderness experience because of exile or for some other reason? The more concrete answer to the question of how do you know? Wilderness experiences only come after repeated warnings from God. Wilderness experiences only happen after God has repeatedly said, look, knock it off. Did you hear that in Hosea 2? After all of Israel's sins, after all the times in which they've offered incense to false gods, after all their prostitution and adultery and their lying and all the things they've done, they're still not in exile. And exile only happens after repeated warnings from God. Take, for example, the couple that's dating. And imagine that this dating couple begins to struggle in their physical interaction with one another and they cross a line in which they both know in their hearts they shouldn't be engaging physically with one another. God will not send them into exile the very first time that that happens. Now there may be discipline for the sin. There may be struggle. But they're not going to go into exile the very first time they mess up physically. However, if they continue in repeated ways 
to cross lines in their sexual relationship with one another at some point. God will send them warnings, maybe even like the sermon this morning. Passages from the scriptures, friends that come along to say, hey, look, how's that relationship going? Is this really God honoring? Your own conscience saying, look, we shouldn't be doing this. If at some point after ignoring those warnings, that, that couple continues down that path, it will result in exile. Perhaps God will simply tear that relationship apart. Perhaps God will allow that relationship to proceed to marriage, but in the marriage there will be the difficulties and the consequences of the sins that were committed before marriage. But the point for us today is, no one goes into exile without warnings from the Lord. So if you're trying to determine, is what I'm going through, the barrenness, the difficulty, the wilderness, am I here because, is it an exile experience? The question to ask is, is there sin in your life? And if the answer is, well, yes, of course, everybody has sin. Have you been warned by God? Have you heard the Lord say, look, in this particular area, knock it off? If you haven't, you're probably not in an exile experience. If you have, like in Sarah's case, the example we used at the beginning, the wilderness is an exile experience. She lost her job because she repeatedly disobeyed the Lord's commands to work for her employer as if working for the Lord. And despite continued warnings, she pressed on and God is the one who caused her to lose her job and to experience the wilderness of unemployment. Now, if you're here this morning and as you're listening to me say these things, you think, well, I might be in exile. If I'm honest with myself, I am clearly in a wilderness experience. I might be here in part because of my own sin. Or you might be thinking of somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody who has uh, experienced an exile for themselves. And the question is, what hope is there? What hope is there for you? What hope is there for me? What hope is there for someone that we love who's in the midst of exile? Well, let's keep going in Hosea 2. We left off at the end of verse 13. And in verse 14, we're going to come across one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. It's incredibly powerful. It's unbelievably shocking. After You, just, you heard all that God said, right, in verses 2 to 13? All the stuff he's angry about, all the stuff he's furious with. Look at what he says. Verse 14. Therefore, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness. No surprise there. But look what's next. And speak tenderly to her. Keep going. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. 
I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips and no longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the olive oil and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Is that not stunning? This is crazy to me. After the first 11 verses in which God vents his anger with Israel at all their sins, at all their unfaithfulness, he does not spare any detail in going through how upset he is with them. And then he says they're going into exile. That's the, that's the wilderness. They will be in the wilderness as a result of their own sin and Israel does go into exile. But then God says in exile, I'm going to speak kindly to them. I'm going to be gracious to them. It's what Romans 2.4 is talking about in the New Testament. It says, or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness forbearance and patience and look at this next phrase not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance in the midst of exile God chooses to come to us with kindness the purpose of the kindness is to lead us to repentance but we would think in exile, God's going to keep turning the screws until our lives are completely unbearable. There is some aspect of that. But his ultimate purpose is to come to us in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the exile, and to be kind to us to be gracious to us, to be merciful to us. Do you hear his desire for this unfaithful nation? He wants to make them a beloved people. And he does do this to the nation of Israel. They go into exile in Babylon. But while they're there, stories like from Daniel or from Esther, you see the kindness of God expressed to them in exile. In Sarah's case, the story we told you at the beginning, imagine that in the midst of those months of unemployment when her benefits are ready to run out, God may show her kindness by bringing along a financial gift or gifts to sustain her during that wilderness experience. God in his kindness may send a friend to walk alongside her in this journey. God in his kindness may encourage her to start volunteering at church in a particular position knowing full well he plans to turn that into some sort of new career or new job down the road. 
or God may show up to her in the midst of her wilderness and her exile. And one morning in a church service, just simply speak words of forgiveness and love and grace. This is the crazy thing. This is what God does in exile. In exile, when we're there because of our sins, he chooses kindness, kindness to us. He wants to lead us to repentance. But in the midst of the difficult discipline, it's what we said the other day when we talked about redemption, that God is so committed to redeeming us that he even begins to work against the effects of his own discipline in our lives because full of compassion and grace and mercy. And of course, there is no better example of God's kindness in the midst of exile than when we realize from one point of view, the whole world is in exile. The whole world was created by God and for God. And all of us have sinned and gone astray. And that the world in which we live, I prayed as we started the sermon for things going on in politics. The reason we have to pray is that it's a mess. There is sin everywhere. The financial markets, the climate, the economic situations, the personal relationships, the disease, all the stuff in the world. We are living in exile. We are living in exile from the God who created us as a human race. We have chosen to disobey and the things that Israel was doing in Hosea 2, they pale in comparison to what is going on all around the earth and what has been happening for all of human history. But what did God choose to do for us in the midst of exile? God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners while we were his enemy, while we wanted nothing to do with God. God gave the ultimate act of kindness. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. That's why Paul says, do you show contempt for his kindness? Do you not realize the most powerful force in the universe is the love of God? And because we were created by God, because we were elected by God, because God is redeemer and because God is Lord over all things, when he sends us into exile, he does not leave us there, but comes to us with kindness. Now the hard thing is, is even when he comes with kindness, some people still choose to reject that. And God says there is no hope for such people. They will simply remain in exile for eternity. But for those who respond to God's kindness, for people like Sarah who say, you know what? I didn't work as for the Lord. Thank you, God, for being kind to me. And in the midst of repentance, that's how exile comes to an end. Now let me say, there's also not just a word of hope for us that God is kind to us, there's also a word of encouragement. I said along the way, well, what do you do if you know somebody who is in exile? How should we engage with them? 
Well, we take a lesson from what the Lord does himself. For those that we love that may be ongoing or engaged in ongoing sin, there is an important time of warning. And if you have a child or a spouse or a friend, a coworker, a classmate who is engaged in willful sinful behavior, we're not talking about non-Christians doing that. We're talking about those who have accepted the invitation from Jesus. If God is warning them, we want to be warning them too. We want to say the same things. Look, don't keep doing this. It will lead to exile. And even though you will experience the kindness of God in exile, it's still the wilderness. It's still painful. It's still difficult. And if there is warning that is happening and you see the Lord trying to warn your son or your spouse or your friend or your classmate, join with him in warning. Let your voice be added to the chorus to say, please, you don't want to do this. Or if someone you love, if you see in the midst of God ready to pronounce the discipline, you see like in Sarah's case, she's going to get fired. What do we do in that case? We simply say to the Lord, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. And we just simply pray for the one we care about who's going, and God's already decided they're going into exile, and they're going for their own good. We simply pray, Lord, be merciful. And then what about that person who is living in exile? And this gets tricky because there are lots of considerations. There's considerations about things like church discipline, about getting contaminated by sin, about restoring people gently lest you get pulled in. I'm not talking about all those things this morning. But from this passage, please know that there will be times in the midst of that exile when God wants to express kindness to the person who is in exile. Not after they repent, but in order to help them repent. And that you and I may be called on to exercise acts of kindness as well. And so I just simply want you to understand, don't be surprised if there's someone you know and love who's in exile, that if there are seasons or opportunities or small things or big things that you're able to do to express kindness to them, this is how God treats us in exile. He's the one who determines when it starts. He's the one who pulls us out of it. So we don't want to make the mistake of trying to end exile for someone else through our kindness. That's God's job. But just be aware. There will probably be seasons or opportunities in which God simply calls on you and on me to do acts of kindness as an expression of God's love to them. Now, what do we do with this? Well, this is kind of a heavy subject. <laughs> so what we've planned uh, to do for the time that we have remaining is offer a time of reflection. And I'm going to give you three scenarios in which I'd like for you to kind of think through where you're at in relation to exile. There'll be some music playing. There'll be an opportunity for you to just quiet your hearts. We will sing a song at the end of it, but there's an opportunity for you to just think through a couple of things. 
Number one, if you're not yet a Christian, just take this time of silent reflection and think about the fact that in the midst of all the junk you're doing, all the sin that's been done to you and all the ways in which you've contributed to this creation being messed up, think about the fact that God has demonstrated his love for you and he sent his son to die for you 2,000 years ago so that today you can come out of the exile of this existence and experience the love and grace of God. Second, if during the time of silent reflection, the Lord brings a friend, a loved one to mind who you think is in danger of going in exile or is in exile, just take a few minutes to think about their situation. Are they in the phase of being warned? And do you need to contribute by helping warn them? Is God currently executing discipline? Maybe take a few minutes during this time and just simply pray for mercy and say, God, in your wrath, remember mercy. Or are they living in exile? In which case, during the silent reflection, just ask the Lord, Lord, is there any act of kindness you want me to do for them to express your love to them? And then the third situation is if you happen to be here this morning and you are in exile. As I've been speaking, something's been stirring in your heart and you think, you know what, the wilderness I'm in, I don't think this is an accident. I think I'm here in part because of my own sin. During this time of silent reflection, hear the Lord saying to you, come, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Let it be a time of confessing and cleansing and forgiveness. Who knows? Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to you and today, when you confess, the exile can end. So during the time of silent reflection, just take a few moments, think through one of those situations, and let's do this together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.